Welcome to This Osteopathic Life. This is Dr. Amelia Beakey. I am honored to share with you the philosophy that has underscored my personal and professional life and explore how osteopathy truly is for the health of all things. I see these principles in action every day in my varied roles as physician, parent, athlete, writer, musician, coach, and entrepreneur, and hope they will light the way for the path to your best health. Please note that while I am a physician, this podcast is intended to share general information and encourage discussion about medicine, health, and related subjects. The content provided in this podcast and in any linked materials is not intended and should not be construed as medical advice. Thank you for joining me for episode 52 of season three of This Osteopathic Life. If we think about that number, we look at one per week over the course of a year, and we aren't to a year yet. Actually, this osteopathic life begins on the 1st of February, so we actually have more than two more months remaining in this year. And as we look back over the previous seasons, we'll see 44 was the number from season two, 40 was the number from season one, and that doesn't take into account the conversations episodes. Those are numbered separately. They're not included in those solo episode numerical measurements. So we are exceeding each year the number of episodes from the year before. And once weekly is the average aim. And as I shared about a month ago, prior to beginning this daily podcast adventure challenge, I was behind, if we allow for that to be a thing, on the number per year that had been usually almost in every other week release of the episodes. And I was curious about that. I had perhaps some disappointment that I wasn't on pace, on track from previous, but I had also made my peace with it and allowed for whatever number of episodes to be, to be the right number of episodes for that year, trusting that the essence and the energy came through, that the interviews and the conversations held their own space. And it was literally on the day that I'd come through feeling somewhat disappointed about it and then making peace with it and saying, well, these are the number of episodes. I can honor what is there. I can look forward and plan for what I'd like to do differently in the future. And it was on that day that Dr. Una, my coach, my mentor, my colleague from the EntreMD Business School posted, what if I did a podcast a day right, for 30 days? What would that be like? And there was a whole long thread about what topics to bring up and what the impact would be and how that would come to fruition. And I thought, oh, that sounds fun. Sounds like a challenge. And I'll join you. She has not since put out the daily podcast episode. She's putting out content in many different ways. But what happened for me was that opportunity to say, oh, well, yes, if I put out weekly podcasts through the end of the year, I likely won't meet or exceed the previous number from the years prior. But a podcast a day absolutely would. I would more than double what I have produced in this year. And just thinking about that and thinking about the ways that we can stay stuck in a certain way of thinking and being. If we think weekly is the option, there's this many weeks left and there's no way to meet that goal using the method I've used before. And we can look at a variety of different quotes and concepts around this. I think about the title of the book, admittedly haven't read it, but now that we're reviewing this, I remember seeing it multiple times and so perhaps it's calling to me to investigate what got you here won't get you there by Marshall Goldsmith. 
you know, getting to a new space requires new systems and being innovative. So if you're only thinking about things in one particular way, you're not necessarily going to break out of the paradigm and expand and transcend what has happened before. And in many ways, we're doing largely the same thing, right? Podcast episodes, recording here, health-oriented concepts, but even simply that method of distribution weekly, is that the only way? And are there other alternatives and opportunities? Are we being limited by staying with what has happened in the past, even if it is something that has worked in the past? It doesn't have to be a problem. That doesn't have to be a bad thing. It's totally been helpful to have a weekly goal with the podcast. And there's also the opportunity to step through and beyond that and say, oh, there's another way. And I absolutely can meet and exceed that goal by shifting even just the slightest amount. And so that's what led us to this opportunity and episode 52 in this season. And we are not done yet. We have the remainder of this month. We are playing a little bit of catch up as I shared with you earlier today. We're releasing a double episode on this day. And I will do that one more time. And then we'll be back on track to finish out this month. This is the 25th episode for the month of November. So we have five more. And then we will perhaps likely resume that weekly frequency through those final two months of the year of this osteopathic life, again, ending at the end of January. And that makes space for something else to take up that daily frequency. And as I've shared with you, that will be the live inconceivable emails and expanding the reach for where those go. And also for me, recognizing that the reach absolutely is an important piece, but the act of doing them is really the purpose and staying tuned into that and welcoming feedback, perspectives, impact, absolutely. But staying clear on the purpose of them and the gift that they bring to me in creating them. So if you have something in your life that you are creating, that you're considering creating, can you notice the opportunity to own the part of it that really does serve you directly and let that be a key component? Producing art is often for the benefit of the artist. It's a method of expression. It can be a therapeutic occurrence. It can feel almost necessary to be able to get out the creativity, the ideas, the beauty, the angst, all of the feelings that are wrapped up and being put out in the way of music or of art onto a canvas or words onto a page, all of those different ways that we create. And so letting that be enough, even be the majority, and welcoming the impact that it has on the world, the sharing, the connecting, the interpretations, all of that. Seeing if it can be a both and, and noticing sometimes we do get sidetracked by how it does affect others, and seeing if we're allowing that to drive the whole process, and if we can bring back that control, that autonomy to ourselves, and let that be, again, in and space in the experience. So over these past nine episodes, and this is the 10th in this arc that we looked at as the messy middle, we looked at the own arc within the messy middle of where that shifted, and we're really in that finish with a flourish within this internal arc, and also within the arc of the month. We're coming into that latter one-third most assuredly now. 
And so I'm going to walk back through, just like we did when we went through the activation process, seeing where we were and noticing the impact, the evolution that occurred. And I'd love to hear back from you, your reflections on the experience. And so I track back to when we began. And as a refresher, these are concepts introduced, developed, established, taught by Positive Intelligence, Shirzad Shamin, and you can find information about that in the show notes. Taking these key and core concepts and looking at them through some different lenses, looking at the opportunity to compare and to contrast, to recognize our snap judgments, the opportunity we have to have a little more latitude, understanding and leeway for ourselves and for others, and to recognize what gifts we have in the way we show up in the world and what opportunities we have to notice when something might have gone too far and caused us some challenges in our relationships and the ways we interact and engage with others. So we began looking at avoidance and agreement. And if you reflect back on that now, if you have had experience with this over these past two weeks, as we have reviewed and engaged with, introduced and perhaps tipped a little on their side, these concepts, what comes up for you? Avoidance and agreement. Is there anything that you have been avoiding that perhaps you can respect? Again, when you created some boundaries for yourself and the avoidance was a healthy no, right? That it's not a hell yes, so it's a no. We began there. Remember when we say yes, we really mean no, it's a lie. Bringing that back through. And when has avoidance been costing you? And it hasn't been for those resolute or resonant reasons. And when has agreement again been that hesitant yes? When has it been an absolute yes and opened doors for you? Seeing the ways we have access to each of these, recognizing when they might be causing us more difficulty than we're acknowledging, when they might be sources of disconnection or resentment, and when they can be spaces of connection, of appreciation, and how we can welcome those in. Then we stepped into control and care. And as we talked about more recently, when we looked at the restless, and we'll talk about that more specifically in just a moment, controlling is something that all of us have a piece of because we have this sense. It's been trained into us culturally and beyond that if we can just do it right, if we can perfectly get into this space to make it work, then we can prevent certain things from happening. We can control other people's behavior, right? We can optimize our environment, And there are factors in there that can be helpful. Being active, being engaged, recognizing the impact we have in the world around us, absolutely. But when it is taken to the extreme and we're expecting to actually have direct control over others in our lives or circumstances, absolutely, that are not within our control or taking ourselves to the extreme of modifying our behaviors in ways that are not sustainable, it can be exhausting. The counterpoint there was looking at care. Control and care is the second episode we went through in this series. And seeing when caring is absolutely a gift. And again, connection we'll find is that common thread of how these gifts are often expressed and experienced. And when care can be to our detriment. I often think about an open valve. And we were only ever in a state of giving and we're not able to receive fully, we're not completing that circuit, we're not completing that circle. And so recognizing where we have the opportunity to strike a balance between. 
Then we look at achieve and abandon. And this was a really interesting one to see the classic ways we interpret those words, experiences, ways of being. And where achieve might always be seen as fantastic, fabulous. Of course, that's what we want to embrace. And abandon can feel just like it says, desolate and empty and resigned or giving up on something. And instead, we can also notice where achievement-driven behaviors can again tune out that inner voice, that inner connection, that sense of value, worthiness, enoughness without all of those accomplishments. Not saying there's not room to work for them, but seeing how we can recognize and own our goodness, our wholeness, our health, whatever word resonates most for you and have those other things, but not require them for our completeness. And that abandon, again, can be a way of setting boundaries, of creating freedom for ourselves, of practicing that powerful no. And that is actually a beautiful space because it's allowing us, inviting us to really tune into what we want. And that question is so powerful. It's one that gets the most pause when I ask it in groups, particularly of medical professionals at any stage of education, training, or practice, because we're not often asked what we want. We don't often believe wanting is appropriate or acceptable. We often feel that we need to justify, to rationalize, wanting or needing even anything. And what if sometimes we just say, I simply want this. And even as I say that, I feel the need personally to justify and to clarify that it doesn't mean taking without permission, of course, we're looking at consent, we're looking at respect, we're looking at equity, fairness, and justice within that space of needing and wanting. But wanting from the place of for enjoyment, for pleasure, because it has been interesting, because it is possible. And seeing those spaces, it doesn't have to be extravagant, but just stepping into that wanting and claiming for ourselves. And again, this is not power over claiming. This is not taking from someone when it shouldn't or doesn't belong to you, but owning something, perhaps an experience, perhaps something as we could say simple, but for many it's not, as a day off. I want a day off not for any specific reason, not to do anything with it, but just to be. And I can claim that for myself, not because I had to do X, Y, Z to earn it, but simply because that's what I want. Letting that sentence and that concept just be. Looking at rational and reactive. Here too, this was one that really struck a chord for me. And between those two words, you're like, rational all day, every day. But looking at when rational can keep us in a space that doesn't allow us to empathize or to connect. When we come up to someone who is very much in the throes of big feelings and offer them, right? And I'm speaking from personal experience here, the bullet point list of perhaps why they shouldn't feel the way they're feeling. And we think that's going to be helpful and bringing them to a space of greater calm or ease, less frustration, but feelings are totally okay. Many times that response they're having is totally appropriate for the situation. And we could say all the time it is because it's their response and they're allowed to have their response. And we could think reactive. Ugh, that's the way we don't want to be. We're practicing not being reactive in the world. And certainly we can be more proactive. We can be in a more receptive space. But at the same time, we think of reactive as that capability, the capacity to sense feelings 
and respond to feelings. And I picture a dance there. And it is a way of reflecting those around us, recognizing what feelings might be happening, allowing ourselves to tap into when that has come up for us. And so perhaps we don't have to classify one as better or worse, rational, reactive, but seeing the gifts within each of them, the challenges that can present, and the ways in which we can tune into those more effectively. Then we moved into vigilant and vacant. And here too, those words, I love the capacity that words have to generate images and feelings. And you might say it's not the word, right? If the word is the circumstance, it's our thoughts about it. And yes, it's our thoughts and our personal associations and our opinions and the past experience and the context and all of that wrapped up into this amazing bundle of what the words can bring us. Vigilant can feel fast and surly and anxious. It can also feel attentive and caring and really noticing of details. I'm listening right now to Will, the autobiography by Will Smith on audio book. Highly recommend in that format. The book itself is beautiful and contains a lot of pictures and maybe something I add to my collection, although I do think you get a PDF. Again, not the same as flipping through the pages, but it's read by Will Smith and bringing his own experience to it, offering a lot of bonuses in the audio space is really beautiful. So recommend it. I'm still in the first third of that, the strong start for sure. And I'll report back once I conclude. And actually, I'm going to come forward with a, a book reading opportunity for the new year. So stay tuned for that as well. But in any case, when he is talking about what was most successful for him in his youth was becoming that master noticer in his environment. He was able to tune into what was happening around him, some for survival and some for connection, some for the advancement of his career, not even knowingly early on, but seeing how that came through. So being vigilant and aware of our environment can be really powerful. It can be taken too far and we can be hyper aware and lead us to a space of anxiety and a incapacity for relaxing in the world around us. Then vacant, seeing there too, can feel very empty, can feel like it's void of feelings and emotion, but it can also be an open space for potential. And I had a really interesting and lovely exchange with a friend today via email. We've connected in different ways and different frequencies, and we're looking at the reflection around the mutual experience of loss of our fathers at a relatively young age for us and for them as well. And what's really struck me in these past, where are we, 27 years that have gone by since my father's passing is that there is a lot of growth that happens immediately adjacent to. So because of the direct connections we have, and I'm not saying there's a disconnect when someone has died, but there is a difference when we are engaged in the physical plane and beyond. And so we can see where relationships shape us. And I can even think of this, if we want to take it for an example, in the natural world, in the plant world around us, right? Plants grow differently when they're immediately adjacent physically to other plants, right? The root structures can shift and trees might bend around in their environment. And they also go differently when there's more space. So when there's the absence of something immediately adjacent to them. And I think about that and I think about how we 
fill up those spaces. And this came through as a visual, so I'm just going to roll with it. When someone, for example, has, let's say, a lung removed for whatever reason that's necessary for them, there are shifts that happen in the body. There are other elements that fill up that space. There is a shift of the remaining anatomy. And the body adapts and changes around that. So there's a different way that we grow, that we evolve, that we change, that we shift when there is the direct presence and those immediately adjacent relationships physically, right? Emotionally, absolutely, because we're growing in all those different planes and ways of being. And there are different ways that we grow because there is a space. And now we could think of that as a negative space, right? And is space negative anyway? It's that opening. Or we can simply see it as a space. And we could also talk about when we create more space in our lives, what is free to come through? And so all the different contexts and constructs that we can examine were vacant doesn't have to be this empty, inert experience, but it can be alive and vibrant and a fertile ground for many things to grow. And I want to be very clear that I'm not wishing any of these we would look at as losses upon anyone. Not saying that is the way to go and a priority, absolutely not. But when we do experience these, and it's quite frequent, many of us have had experiences of the loss of a loved one in this lifetime. We can see simply what is the shift for this happening? Because many times, because we're in it, it just is what it is. It is how life has been for us. And taking that pause to reflect back and say, wow, what have been the changes and the evolutions because of this experience? And as I share with you too, reading the book by Oprah and Dr. Perry, what happened to you? And looking at it that way, what are these happenings? What is the impact? And who and how am I because of this experience in whatever tone we'd like to take, but see what perhaps growth happened there. We moved then into pleaser and proud. What an interesting concept. And since we're on the thread, Will Smith also talks a lot about his pleaser way of being and where that comes up and where it can be absolutely a source of survival. It can be a source of giving to another. Noticing when it can be taken to the extreme and there isn't necessarily reciprocation, not that we always have to be contributing or giving in order to get something back. But noticing when it can be an open valve, I love that visual, and all of our energy, all of our source is being sent out into the world. And it can be in a way that's unsustainable. Then we look at proud. And it's interesting in this one, both of them can have a little bit of the sense of, Oof, like, I don't know if I want to go there because pleaser or people pleaser feels like it's not keeping track of self and proud can feel boastful. But noticing that we can own both of them in certain ways. And that proud can simply be an acknowledgement of that which we have accomplished. And if we can do that in a way that's not saying, I did these things so that I would be, it's I am and I did these things. And there can be a distinction there, expressing pride for another, seeing how that comes up. And seeing too, if the pride can be for the process and not the outcome, And we look at that a lot when we're thinking about concepts in coaching. Even when I look at my practice in osteopathic medicine, in neuromusculoskeletal medicine, outcomes, yes, 
and medicine is quite outcome-driven, and we could explore that. Perhaps we will in some future episodes. But what about the process? The outcome can be fantastic. We can celebrate it. We can aim for it. We can use it as a marker. It can be informative. And the process can be equally and most times more powerful than the outcome itself. Who are we becoming on route to that outcome that we are seeking, that we happen to achieve, that has been expected for us, has been laid out as this finish line space? And what are we making that outcome mean? And is the outcome completely within our control? Many times it's not. In business goals, in athletics, our football team here just went through a very successful season. They lost their first game, then won every other game and played in the state championships today, and ultimately lost that game. And so if we are outcome-driven, that can be a failure. If we look at a win-loss, if those are the two options, if we're looking at that binary way of being in the world of sports, right? the loss can very much feel like a failure. And it's totally appropriate to be disappointed because you're aiming for the win and that's totally appropriate as well. In sports, for me, whenever I towed the line, I had an expectation of aiming for first place. Right? And many times I would think I wouldn't even show up at the start line if I didn't even think it was a possibility. And at the same time, recognizing what the process offers. And I shared a bit in the earlier episode about the recent race and the difference between the race around Halloween and the one yesterday on Thanksgiving here in the United States and being more aware of the process than the outcome and the impact that had on my experience. And so for this team, they can absolutely be disappointed because they were ready, they were primed, they were aiming to win. That is a competitive spirit. And at the same time, they can also totally be proud of and revel in the process of coming back from a loss in the first game and rallying and coming together and reformulating their plans and then showing up the whole season as a team and arriving in the final game that was available to them in this run, that state championship, right? That is the pinnacle in high school sports here, saying that they made it there and they showed up and they played and they made a comeback. And yes, the comeback fell short of an ultimate victory, but can they look at what happened in the process, what it meant to be in that space and what are the gifts there? And that might be something that comes sooner than later, later than sooner, never for some, that's all okay but the opportunity to examine the process remains. And being proud of that, being proud of the effort put in, which is within their control. Now you might say, well, if there's an injury, it's not. But even then, when we're injured, we can still show up. We can show up and engage. We can show up and support our team emotionally, verbally, however that looks. That's available to us. So there are different ways to express pride. We move from there into restless and relaxed and seeing the ways that many of us show up looking for what next, what more, what else I want to be part of. And that can be invigorating. That can be a gift that we share with the world to bring our brilliance, our expertise, our experience, our energy to a lot of different spaces. And then we have relaxed, which again of the two sounds preferable. We can also get to that space where relaxed can get too far gone 
and it can feel lazy. And we could talk all day about that word. I feel like we're disengaged, that we're not paying attention. We're not engaged and connected with the people around us. And so in there too, opportunities to recognize both and tap in to the brilliance of each of them. Then we look at stickler and sympathetic and how being so specific can be helpful. It can be very structured and organized, optimizing our function. It can be taken too far and leave little room for creativity or engagement or perhaps collaboration. And then sympathetic in all its ways of being, but also where it can lead us down the path of not paying attention to ourselves and really only tuning in to others and striking that balance between. And then looking at the other ways sympathetic shows up in our lives. Are we in fight or flight mode? Are we engaged and aware of what's happening around us? And we talked about sympathetic vibration in the sense of music and resonance, but also when we are on similar frequencies with those around us. And then finally, we came to victim and victor and noticed the challenge, even in speaking of those concepts and recognizing the harshness of victim on so many levels, but seeking that space where there is choice in there and recognizing that victim often is also a source and sense of connection. And then with Victor, owning that. I was actually talking about the experience for my sister with a friend of mine. My sister has been an educator and a media specialist for multiple decades. And this year, very deservedly so, was nominated for the Librarian of the Year Award. And they decided to give the award to all nominees which can be seen as a beautiful thing. We actually talked about Olympics in the podium when we were talking about the victor. And at the same time, can it be diminishing of that experience because perhaps someone was ready to be named and there is something in standing atop that podium, having that moment, having the acknowledgement. And it doesn't have to disregard others. It can simply be owned by the person. And so seeing both and... How great to be amongst these other colleagues and to all be acknowledged for this contribution. And what if there was room to be the one named and to own that independently? And what if it's okay, as we talk about, to want that for ourselves? Not because it's completing us, but because it is an acknowledgement of that which we are doing. And we embrace that opportunity. And so as we reflect on this journey I invite you to simply consider what came up for you, what sounded familiar, what sounded foreign, where might you be unable to see that others are showing up this way and it can be working for them, it can be challenging for them, it might not be familiar to you but you have room to learn from it and can you see for you what the balance points might be as you walk between these ways of being and that is where we are. This. So that's our finish with the flourish from this internal arc. And we'll rejoin tomorrow for the first of five more episodes in this month to round it out. And I have a couple fascinating opportunities in store for you as we move through. We'll look at some story opportunities, looking at some creativity and improvisation in this space. We will set the tone for where we're going through the rest of the year 
and we'll begin to bring forward concepts that we have to engage in new ways together as we head into 2022. So I thank you for joining with me on this journey, for holding some space and grace for the rate of the distribution of the episodes, and I look forward to experiencing the remainder of this session of this daily podcast adventure, the remainder of season three, and seeing where we'll head together. This is Dr. Millie Beaky with This Osteopathic Life. Thank you for listening.